0: And welcome to the Pragmatic Product Chat Series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Rebecca Calajaris, Vice President of Marketing and Product Strategy at Pragmatic Institute, and your host for this episode. And today, I am extremely excited to be joined by Kirk Westwood, best-selling author of The Very Best, Bad Idea, and a PR and marketing consultant. Welcome, Kirk. Oh, I'm glad to be here. All right. So I thought, Kirk, just to kind of get the ball rolling, give everybody some context and perspective, can you give us like the quick Kirk story?
1: Quick Kirk story. Okay. So, military brat, I've lived everywhere and I learned and I met a lot of different people in a lot of different walks of life and just learned kind of everything. Decided very from a young age, I loved stories and storytelling, uh, and that I was going to be a filmmaker when I grew up. So, I went to film school, moved to LA to tackle uh, LA by storm because, you know, that is the mecca of telling stories. And learned it and loved it. And still, you know, my background in knowing so many different types of people having lived all over the world came in handy of understanding people and storytelling and how different people can hear the same story in very different ways. That kind of led me to marketing a little bit, which led me back to DC into kind of government contracting and working to tell, you know, communications and marketing stories within the government sector and the public sector. And then decided that I loved it so much. I started my own agency in 2015 went back to grad school to make sure I knew what I was talking about. I went to Georgetown starting in 2017, wrote my book in 2019, and here we are.
0: Awesome. Love it. And not only is The Very Best Bad Idea an excellent name for a book, but it is quite an enjoyable read. So I'm really excited, Kirk, because I think as product people, something we always often hear is that we should be innovative, right? So this is like the, we should be innovative. Now what, right? Like what does that mean and how can we do that? And, and what, behaviors and almost uh, stances help us do that. So I think to start, an important part of this is what do we mean by innovation?
1: I actually wanna take one step back further and I'll I'll say that in my experience, what people are, what they are saying versus what they mean, they're saying, we should be innovative, parenthetical, (laughs) just don't make me uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. (laughs) Like, I want you to give me these crazy, big, world-changing ideas, but it has to fit within my worldview. Yes. What's interesting is, so I interviewed hundreds of people for my book, everything from just people on the street, literally, I just kind of w- walked around and said, hey, do you have a couple of minutes, all the way up to, you know, conducting real interviews of, of people that I had to, to you know, beg to let me talk to them for anywhere for 15 minutes to, in one case, four hours, because he just was an amazing interview that just wouldn't stop. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. And I asked that question, can you do me a favor? Can you define innovation? And the thing that I found the most startling is this word that has a definition, you can look it up is wildly differently defined by the category of person you are talking to. If you are talking to a researcher, someone who works in academia, so someone at universities, they use innovation to mean one very I say specific, but this one kind of amalous group of things. And if you talk to someone in a think tank, Who still academically led, but now a little bit more application driven, they define innovation slightly different. There's some Venn diagram overlay, but they do, in fact, mean something different by it. Now, if you start talking to your your Silicon Valley types, your if you start talking to your your, business led Silicon Valley types, their definition of innovation, whereas could use some of the same words to define it, is actually at is wildly different when it comes to the actual application. So you have three people in a room, you have a university professor emeritus, you know, quadruple PhD, you have some brilliant, brilliant government mind, you know, uh, general who is now retired and a part of a think tank, and you have you know the Jeff Bezos, the the Elon Musk, the Silicon Valley innovator, and the three of them keep using this word innovation and can't figure out why they aren't communicating clearly, and that's because all three of them think they're talking about a very different thing.
0: I think that's such a good point, right? Because, you know, when it's, it's often the board or the execs or your boss, he's like, we just got to be really innovative. And if you don't have alignment about what that means, you will not succeed. It's what we always call it here. It's like, go fetch a rock. No, not that rock, a different rock. And like, there's no other feedback. You're just going to keep guessing at what it means. And, and your definition of innovation could be like, oh, this is exactly it. And maybe they were looking for, innovation in process or or within a certain scope. So I think it's really important to have within the organization a shared understanding of what innovation means.
1: And and not to to go way far off of the topic, but the other thing is is you have to set your baseline. I have, again, you know, as you mentioned, I'm a PR marketing and kind of a consultant. Innovation for many of my clients that are led by an older kind of boomer, well, you know, older gen X kind of people, Innovation for them was really pushing them hard to adopt a inter-office messaging that wasn't email. Like, hey, you guys should have Slack or MS Teams, or you should have some abilities you have in that you're all remote, you should have kind of a better, more open form Kind of communication. And so many people listening, I'm sure, and that I've told this to other people, kind of roll their eyes and like, oh my gosh, that's not innovation. That uh, At this point, that's 10 years old. Right. But innovation for companies that are 80 years old, mm. and for them, email was a big step forward. We need to not just understand what we mean by innovation, but take as a baseline the people we're talking about, adopting an electronic open form asynchronous communication like Slack or MS Teams or some other form... That actually can be for that organization an innovative an innovative leap. So you do have to always kind of set and understand your baseline with your internal audience.
0: It's and it's very true, right? Like we can get frustrated. I think some people, you know, when we, when we in our current gig or if we previous gig had roles at really large enterprise companies, you can feel really frustrated that like that either their definition of innovation is small or their time frame is long. But it's also not without without reason, right? There's a lot that is working there and has worked very successfully. So so I, I try to balance the, oh, they're not innovative. They don't want to change with, look, there is a lot of pluses in what they have established. And it's just a bigger organization with bigger tentacles that need to evolve.
1: Love the use of tentacles there. Uh, and we can get into why, in a, you know, later on. But yeah, like the the one that I think is a really great example is you take the Titanic and I'm not trying to be funny, but you take the Titanic. It was the newest, bestest ship in the world. It was brand new. It Mm -hmm. was innovative. The rudder was too small, so it couldn't, it couldn't navigate fast enough. So you can take that from both sides here. You can say, Hey, on one side, it was innovative. They were trying all these new and things they didn't work, but they were trying them. But the problem was, is, is that, you have these big enterprise level companies and sometimes you have to remember that for them innovation is still kind of a few is is further behind but also remember that rudder size was a big problem that uh, is a big thing you can't criticize people for not moving fast enough you can't point out that that is in fact what crashed the titanic you know why it sank was it was its inability to move but you have to remember that that there are companies out there that are huge companies and their rudder is the problem, not their processes, Hmm. not their methodology, not what. So instead of focusing on, you know, this new product, this new process, these new people, this new, this, sometimes where innovation is most needed is rudder upgrades because moving the ship faster would be the uh, not moving it forward faster, but making the company more agile, making it more adaptive is actually the critical point of innovation that particular organization needs more than the new product, the process, the people more than whatever, their ability to adapt to change faster is actually the thing that's going to crash them.
0: Yeah. All right. So let's say now that we've got uh, a shared idea of innovation. And I'm excited because I, Kirk, have figured it out. I'm super excited. I am going to present my idea on innovation. And they're just lost. They think it's crazy, right? Yes. And I know from your book that you think that's a good thing. So let's talk a little bit about that because I think that it doesn't feel good (laughs) (laughs) when you're standing in front of the room. You're like, oh, I I thought this was it. So so talk to me about that. Talk to me about why that is a good sign and what that means.
1: So, if you go to someone and you say something out loud, and everyone in there is like, "Oh yeah, I thought about that a lot," or "Oh yeah, someone other company is doing that," or those aren't bad things either. But if you come up with something that is so obvious and so near the norm, and so if you if you are in your pitch meeting and you pitch this thing, and everyone jumps on it immediately, that's not a bad thing. I mean, I don't want to make it sound like that's bad, but just because you're when you present this idea, if people look at you and go, that's crazy, that doesn't work at all, that makes absolutely no sense, the, the knee jerk reaction from a psychological cognitive standpoint is we get defensive, like, no, it would work, you're not listening, oh, you just don't understand. And, and what actually, what we need to start happening is, okay, why won't it work? We start asking these questions. And the reason it's a, to, to answer the question you're asking is, why is it good? is because if you see, this clear package you're like oh my gosh i'm standing in the woods and i can see my route through the trees i can see the spring on the other side and the person right next to you doesn't see it that doesn't mean it isn't there it means that they albeit only 18 inches away from you they don't have the same same vantage point through the trees as you so just be when you get talking to these people these innovators and they're like well i tried something like that before or that's not going to work because of this or that They are seeing a different road. It doesn't mean your road isn't there. So the reason it's good is you might actually be on the verge of actual innovation. You might actually have the right combination of life experiences, the right combination of perspectives, the right combinations of background to see this path that because of other environmental factors, other people can't see. So people coming to you and going, oh my gosh, your idea won't work at all. Now, is it possible your idea isn't fully formed? Of course, but if you really see it and you can make it work and you see all the problems and and you have an answer for, it's not gonna work because of X and you can say, here's why it will. So the reason that's good is you can be prepared to answer those questions. And when you can answer those questions and get people behind you seeing your path through the trees, it is the single most exciting thing in the world because instead of just showing them something they should have seen anyway. You know what, they might've seen that, or someone else already saw that, or your other people are already on the path for it. For every product, there's another product out there doing similar things. But if you see a path that the, the initial reaction is, nope, won't work, lots of people get discouraged. And what you need to do for that is take that exact same reaction and go, awesome. I have an opportunity to show the path. What is it that you don't see? Like, what is it that I'm not explaining? Where are the where are the pitfalls that you see? And the great part about this is it's a win win situation. If they ask you questions that you had not considered, well, great, you now have new information that you can now adapt and incorporate into your next pitch. And if they ask you questions, you do have the answer. Uh, you do have the information even better. Now you have new disciples towards this new path, this new plan. There's no negative outcome. You either get information to fortify your idea, or you get new followers towards your plan. There's no bad outcome. People go, oh, they hated it. You missed an opportunity. That was the best thing that could have happened.
0: I also just, I love the idea. When we were talking about this before, I, it, it was really very eye-opening. It's one of those ahas that's also like, oh yeah, of course, where if it if it if it wasn't if they immediately got it maybe it's not a step far enough right maybe it's it's too accessible and it may be a good idea but it's honestly innovative right now that doesn't mean that if somebody gets it they're also just don't happen to be in a, in a great shared space with you but for the most part that's a good sign uh, and also as to, as something that you talk about a lot it's a reflection of of where they came from it's it's a reflection of their uh, experiences and past
1: Exactly. So, I mean, my father, military diplomat, awesome guy. I mentioned him a few times throughout my book. Um, amazing, amazing guy. Retired in, from the Army as a colonel, You know, military liaison, diplomat, Like, d- did some really incredible things. And the thing that he used to tell me, especially later in his career as he started working with the State Department and overseas a lot, is he said, our biggest problem is that we think that they think like we think. And if we think that, we ain't thinking. And we have to remember that two people from the same place with the same life experience still probably don't see things the same way. So now we start talking about these people, you know, we, we have this innovative product and we're going to try to sell it overseas or to another market or another thing. And we think it's this brilliant idea. Cause we think that they think like we think, and they don't, they don't have the same perspective. They don't have the same backgrounds. They don't have the same pain points. And even if we know their pain points, we don't necessarily understand their pain points. We have to understand that people outside of your head, do not think like you think. And once you start to grab onto and attach yourself to that idea, it's very freeing. It's My idea isn't bad. I am just doing a bad job of explaining it. I am not fully expressing to people the the opportunity here. Now, there is a chance you have a bad idea. I don't want to like, there is a chance you don't see something. But that's still good. You now have an opportunity to make your product, your process, your idea better because now someone else is adding to it by asking you questions that you couldn't answer. We have to remember that everyone is different.
0: Yeah. And it's another good, important lesson too. Like, If you present an idea and they, 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 they fight it or, or discount it, often our first, our first instinct is defense, right? Oh, no, no. Let me show you why you're wrong. But also, again, they have a different perspective. So both there's things that we may need to provide them in additional context, but there's things we should listen to. There are holes that their perspective may see. That doesn't mean we should, oh, we should give up, but we should hear it because it may help us as we continue to evolve our, our innovative ideas. Exactly. I love that. Okay. One of the other uh, analogies that you talk about, which I really like is the stop asking your boss for a dog.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right.
0: Yes. Right. Yes. Which if you have a, a kids and you don't have dogs, you know, <laughs> not, you know, this feeling, but can you talk a little bit about that? Cause I, again, it's just one of those great little phrases that I think is, can be really grounding for people.
1: Sure, sure. You know, so I have both been a child and now have five children. So the concept of, hey, dad, can I have a cat? Hey, dad, can I have a dog? Is is something that is, at least in Western culture, or at least American culture, you know, even if you don't have the personal experience, if you've seen a sitcom from the 40s to the 90s, you know the concept of, hey, dad, can I have a dog? And, and and we say, well, we just can't right now. You know, you're you won't walk it. You don't have the responsibility. You don't have this. We don't have the money. And the the out of the analogy actually goes really well to modern business. It, pick one. We don't have the money for it. One to one. We don't have a place for the dog. One to one. We don't have the facilities for. It. Like there are so many. I have this new project or product I want to launch. Slash, Dad, can I have a dog? The the similes and the, the excuses of why not are 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 startlingly similar. Like, and so what what I tell people is stop asking for the dog, prepare for the dog you don't have. So if you go to your boss and you say, hey, I have this product project thing that I want to try. And they say, you know what? There's just not the time, the money, the bandwidth for it this year. Ask next, ask next quarter, next fiscal year, next, you know, after this, whatever, after this is signed, whatever. The worst thing that can, you can do is do what he said. And I heard myself say it, The worst thing you could do is listen to him or her in this case. And that is to say, okay, cool. I'll ask again in three months. And so three months later, the next quarter, the next year, after the contract was signed, you go and say, hey, so can I have that dog now? There's going to be another excuse. But if you say, go back up to your dad and you're like, dad, I built a dog house or I saved my pennies and I bought a dog house. It's in the backyard now. I have a schedule, I've already written it out in Excel. Here are, here's the prices of dog food. Here is my walking schedule. Here's how I'm going to fit it into my current school and homework schedule. Here's all of these things. Now, you still don't have a dog, but now you have eliminated all, or as met, you have mitigated as many of the no factors as you can. So instead of just going back three months later, saying, hey dad, Uh, We talked three months ago last quarter about me having a dog. And you said next quarter, can I have a dog now? And he's like, you know, it's still just not a good time. But if you go back, you're like, hey, thanks so much for, you know, it's three months later. Like you said, you know, I heard your concerns last time. Here's the doghouse. Here's the spreadsheet. Here's the budget. Here's the this. You have made the doghouse. You have made room for the dog. Don't keep asking for a dog. And because even when your boss said, no, we don't have the time. We don't have the money. We don't have the resources. They were lying. You had all of those things. Doesn't matter. They there were those things. They didn't see how it wasn't. What they were saying is, all I see right now is a drain on our resources. So when you ask again, make sure that you show that you already have the doghouse. You already have the dog bowl. You have already maxed out all the things you could do for free or cheap or or within your resources. So that when he says again, or she, when they say, I'm sorry, you can't have a dog house. You can't have a dog. You can say, but look, I fit it into my time. I fit it into my budget. I fit it into my schedule. I fit it. There's a dog house in the backyard. You didn't even know you didn't even notice it was there. So obviously the dog's not going to be too big of a problem. And that is how you get a dog slash how you get your project made. It's the, the analogy is very, very one-to-one. It works really well.
0: I just love that because I think we all have that scenario where we have a project that we just were, or, uh, you know, we have something to add that the market research is so clear that this would be successful and we can't get it funded or we can't get the appropriate resources for it. And they're like next year. And you're like, okay, I'm going to make the argument against next year, but I'm starting from the same spot. And, and I think just the, like, if you're that sure, if you're that passionate, like we're not saying like go off the reservation and build it anyway, we're saying right. show, show, continue to expand that because you're fighting for it. And that, that is our, even when it's frustrating, you're like, why won't they just believe me? That's why they pay me. Like, this is our job is to make them understand and see that vision. And I just think it's, a, it's again, it's another good place to, to, to help ground ourselves.
1: Right, I mean, if you go back to your boss and you say, hey, look at my, you know, my deliverables over the last year, since we last talked last quarter, last year, whatever. My deliverables have been, on time, my work performance haven't slowed, nothing, I've hit everything and you didn't even notice, I mean, be careful how you phrase it, you didn't even notice that in that same amount of time, I also built this dog house, I also have the numbers, I have the budget, I have the spread, I I have the amount of time I can fit it in, I can make this project work without you noticing, I just need X funding for Y development, and I can do it, I, I can prove that, it's, you're showing you're a responsible dog owner, Because just asking the same question over and over, you never know if the reasons they gave you were the real reasons. Like, they might not have known that the reasons they were giving weren't weren't their real reasons. The idea is to not just keep asking for a dog because they can keep on finding a reason to say no. Make sure that you go to them with all the reasons that they at least are listing or all the reasons you can think of uh, are mitigated upfront because it makes them talk to you about what's the real problem, Maybe they don't see it. Maybe they don't do, understand it. Maybe they don't agree with it. And they're throwing a lot of stuff in front of you. If you can get rid of all of that, you have you have your dog.
0: Love it. All right. Let's be honest though, Kirk. Sometimes we just, we, we, we just have a bad idea.
1: <laughs> oh, so many of them. So, so many of them. Yeah.
0: How do we help people realize like, no, this is the very best bad idea. That is something. And like, nope. Nope, this is just a clunker and it's time to move on.
1: So what's great is it's the same answer on both sides. And that is the thing that so few people do. And it's actually one of my bigger pet peeves when people do it to me is that we don't, as a culture, we don't ask questions. We give reasons. We're like, Stevens, that won't work because blah, blah, blah. And we just give the reasons why it won't work. Slash, when someone tells us our idea is bad, we don't ask questions. We just defend and tell them why it will. It will work because of blah, blah, blah. If both, if either, either of those parties, the boss or the, the potential product manager, if either of those people said, okay, why, why won't it work? Let them answer. Okay, why? should that matter? Okay, I I hear you. What if, if you, if someone comes into one of your meetings with a terrible idea and you just think that it is just, oh my gosh, why do they work here? Instead of saying, you're an idiot, that's stupid. What if we said, okay, explain this to me more. Why? Why is this? Let Prove them right. Let them give them a stage to dance. Give them a stage to really perform their idea. Let them. And if you see a glaring hole, don't point out the glaring hole. Ask about the glaring hole. Like, okay, what about the regulatory? What about the you know regulatory problems around emissions for this new car park? What what are you? What are your solutions for that? Now, if they haven't thought of that or they don't know anything about, and they freeze up and go, oh, I didn't. I didn't know about that. Well, cool. Now you have pointed at a, you've pointed at a pothole. You've pointed at a problem. You've identified why it's a bad idea. The, the, the proposal can, he's like, let me, let me get back to you. And they can go and you can go back about your time or on the flip side, if it's your product. And, and they say, well, what about the regulars? Like, I thought of that. Here's how we get around it. Or they go, oh, wow, I hadn't thought about that again, that's good news. Either they've given you a pretty good way to save face and say, you know, let me get back to you on that. And it doesn't need to be a, you're wrong, you're an idiot. But they've empowered you with information of their perspective. What landmines, what potholes, what, what problems they see through the path. So on both sides of this, everything is solved. Instead of getting defensive, instead of getting critical, instead of getting instead of getting dim- dismissive, do the exact, ask questions, genuine, not dismissive, like, oh my gosh, so what are you going to do? No, no, okay, I'm listening. How are you going to handle this problem? How are you, or like I said, on the reverse, no, said that's a terrible idea. Okay, sir, why is it, what, what is unclear? Maybe I can help. What, both sides both sides if by asking open-ended questions, not closed questions, like, oh, so you think this is stupid? That's not going to help you. Ask open-ended questions. That is going to unravel the real concerns. That is going to uncover the real genius. That is going to point out the problems that may or may not exist, that may or may not, that will point out the solutions that may or may not have already been developed. If both sides can learn to, instead of attack and defend but ask questions to uncover that is actually innovation because now we're trying to elevate ideas instead of showing our own brilliance by shooting down others
0: this is another one of those spots where it just you know it it, we all we may not be able to fix our own flaws but we are often very aware of them right and so uh it is (laughs) I would say a blessing and a curse. Probably a lot of people would just say a curse. That that I tend to hear an idea, and you are like immediately you, you look at the problems, and then you get excited to thinking about how you overcome them. So so it is not. This really reminded me both of uh, the energy we can waste fighting a bad idea, uh, just you know going after it and attack. But and as our energy we wait we waste the relationships we can harm that way, and the learning opportunities on both sides that we miss when we don't approach it this way.
1: Everyone that is listening and this is it's bigger than that. E- everyone in general is actually brilliant. And I mean that. Pick the stupidest person you know, they're brilliant. They are. They just they just have a different application of it in some way. And I'm not trying mm-hmm. to make some kind of special snowflake statement. I just I truly believe in the individual brilliance of of people and their perspective. Because as I said, I've lived everywhere with people that, with no education up through Harvard MBAs and and, and JDs and, and PhDs, and I, I will say that some of the most educated people are far less smart than some of the least educated people in general. But if we take our own brilliance, and instead of using it to demonstrate to other people why their idea won't work, take a moment to blind yourself to the potholes you see. And and I like like talk about it in the book, prove them right. Say, okay, okay, you want to open up a sushi, a sushi bar laundromat, uh, suds and sashimi, we'll call it that, uh, that sounds terrible. Well, who wants laundry, soap, and, you know, and, and tuna near each other? But let's talk this out. Instead of using your brilliance to talk about why that's dumb, use your brilliance to find their brilliance. Why will it work? And I'm not saying that every idea is going to work. There's a lot of truly not going to happen ideas. But we spend so much of our time shooting those down that we miss if someone spent their time and their energy especially in modern business culture if someone got up the energy and the courage to say their idea out loud okay give them the benefit of 90 seconds of your time to find why they thought it was worth thinking find the instead of finding out instead of spending your energy figuring out why it was bad spend your brilliance proving them right and at the end of 90 seconds, 90 minutes, two days, two weeks, if you realize, no, no, I see I see the appeal, but it's not, then move on. But use your brilliance to elevate others. And if nothing else, it'll get you a follower and a colleague and a teammate and a, and a champion for life.
0: And yeah, no, I, I think that's totally true. And again, it also, it's just... There can be a lot of anger when we're trying to actively fight against something. And so I think this is just a really smart thing to remember. All right, uh, so we've talked a lot of different things, right? About how to know that actually someone disbelieving your idea is could be just a really good sign that it is innovative, that it's stepped further away. Uh, how to take their, their questioning of you as a plus and use it to help flush out your idea how to uh, earn the dog that you want, and also how to take some of these techniques to make you a sort of other people's bad ideas. Uh, so we covered lots and lots and lots of different things. There's so much more in your book, Kirk. Uh, I think it's a great read. If you were though, like, if you were like, okay, two things I want everyone listening to do differently tomorrow because of, of what I, I believe and what we talked about today, what would it be?
1: So step one and two for what I call kind of my innovative process is step one, take a step in any direction. If the thing you want get further away, cool. Now you have your orientation. Like take a step. If you want a thing and you have a project, a product, it goes back to the dog analogy. If you want to get to get something done and you just can't get anyone to listen, step one, the distance between you and the thing you want, the only thing in the way is distance. So take a step. If all of a sudden that thing is further away, great. You now know you're walking the wrong direction. That's not bad. You just now know that you went the wrong way. Take a step in any direction. Step two is actually just as simple as step one. Adjust as necessary. You know, there's a lot of times you'll have a hypothesis and you'll be like, hey, well, and you try it and it doesn't work. That's not bad that it didn't work. Adjust a little bit and, and try something else. Move about. Get ready. Build the doghouse. Do everything in your power. Don't stop moving because the worst thing, and we all, everyone listening, everyone not listening, everyone has that thing they love, they've been thinking about for five years, 15 years. They've been thinking about it. And the reason it hasn't been done yet is because they've done absolutely nothing to make it happen. If you want something done, the only way it's going to happen is if you do something, anything. It doesn't actually matter what. You just have to get moving keep moving and adjust as necessary.
0: Love it. All right. Thank you very much for coming on today. It has been an absolute pleasure talking with you.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me.
0: All right. That does it for today's episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic uh, designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career.